Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And tonight we have special guests with us, uh, David Hausen. Hi. Brian Alosio. Hey. And Andrew Habers. Thanks for having us, Randall. Awesome, awesome. Tyler, what is happening? Well, we brought Andrew, Brian, and David on from Riftweaver Game Studio to talk about their upcoming Kickstarter for Fablecraft. So we'll get into what that is in just a moment. Um, Andrew Habers is the CTO and co-founder of Riftweaver. Uh, David Hausen is the CEO and also a co-founder. And Brian Alosio is their lead systems designer and previously has worked for Turbine Entertainment on games that you might be familiar with, including uh, Lord of the Rings Online, D&D Online, and the current Game of Thrones mobile game. So, uh, guys, if I can put this on you, um, can you give me an elevator pitch for what is Fablecraft? Fablecraft is a digital tabletop role-playing game. It is a TTRPG for kind of 2023, a game that you could play on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, in person or remote. And ideally, it's a sort of game that you can just literally learn to play by playing the game itself. So you don't have to have a supplemental material, whether it's a book or a PDF or anything like that. Okay, so it's a role playing game built for play on a virtual tabletop. But my understanding is it's also a virtual tabletop. And you guys were kind enough to run a game for me, Randall, and Ash last week. So we got to see it in action. It was a lot of fun. For players who are familiar with virtual tabletops, Roll20, Shard, how does this differ from your experience running, say, D&D or Pathfinder on one of those virtual tabletops that people are already familiar with? Yeah, I mean, it's the 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 tricky thing or the funny thing is like if you are familiar with Roll20, it's a pretty easy explanation where it's like imagine Roll20 where a bunch of the game rule system is integrated into the product itself. Roll20 and Alchemy and Foundry, all awesome platforms for playing TTRPGs online because they are system agnostic, they don't really integrate any one particular system into the experience. So if you roll to hit something, if you miss, it's likely still going to roll damage. And that's kind of silly, right? Like if you're, if you're going to miss, you don't want to see that you rolled max damage with your D12 battle axe. It's kind of a bummer. So like, it's, it's nice to uh, really think about the entire experience end to end tailor-made for both the platform and for the the systems and the rules. So for example, when you deal damage to eight skeletons with one fireball, you don't have to manually click on each one and subtract the health from them. And so it sounds like there's a lot of like tight integration with the rule set. So yeah, like you said, when you're playing on something like roll 20, if I make an attack or throw a fireball, like I have to do a lot of the work myself, like it'll roll the dice, their character sheets, all those things, but I have to apply all the damage manually. So it sounds like Fablecraft does all of that for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it does the math for you. And I think kind of almost in, in, in some ways, more importantly, we also handle the like the logistics and infrastructure. And, and maybe Andrew can talk more to that because he actually wrote a bunch of the code that did it, like the friending and the campaign setup, all that good stuff. 
if we think about VTTs like Roll20, like my experience, even talking about that combat scenario, uh, and so having played your game, I want to come talk about like how cool it was to see it just work. But if I think of Roll20, as a DM or GM running a game in Roll20, more often than not, I say Roll, we're using the D&D Beyond integration. Like you said, like the damage pops up, I get to say whether that hits or not. I've still got a notebook or uh, a Google Doc to the side where I'm actually tracking health because I'm not going to bother, you know, when that situation happens where one fireball hits eight skeletons, I'm not going to go click, click, subtract damage, <laughs> click, click. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do it. So instead, I'm going to do it basically the way that I've been doing it, you know, for, for damn near a decade of just what I saw when we played your game was that this really was seamless. Uh, my options are presented to me as a player character. It's pretty obvious what I can do in any given moment. The cooldown structure for certain things makes sense. And so it, it's, it really did just appear seamless, where when I dealt a killing blow, the the creature died, and there wasn't a lot. Hang on, wait. Uh, wait, hang Oh, wait, wait. Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay, everybody beat it. It was just this seamless click-through we have succeeded. Everybody's celebrating immediately. Yeah, Randall, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. A lot of us here at Riftweaver are very much in the process and process optimization. And playing all of the VTTs over the pandemic, we all quickly realized that there's an issue here. And the issue is that the GM is a bottleneck. So how can we free up the resources that, that GM is managing and uh, you know, remove that bottleneck from the equation? Um, so I, I appreciate that you were able to solve that problem yourself by, you know, taking, taking some of the process off platform, but for us, we, we wanted to solve the, the problem from, you know, the root of it and create a platform that actually solves that for us. Yeah. And the speed is, is great. And an important part of all this where things just execute by us having our own native rule system integrated into the VTT, it lets us control a lot of things and and have these fun combats execute quickly and everything. But the real goal for that and other things is to make this a seamless and easy to get into experience for people who might not have even ever played a tabletop game before. All of us have played tabletops for most of our lives and getting this hobby in the hands of, of new players by using all these easy, accessible video chats already integrated. You just click through in your campaign and your friends list feel like other kinds of apps that you used. And then you're just in the game and role-playing with each other. And you don't need to look up rules about how to do a damage roll. It just happens. You click on things, right? Th these are all kind of the, the real goal and the, the, the juicy intention of, of Fablecraft. Yeah, I'll say, I think that is definitely one of the other things I noticed is that the barrier to entry uh, was basically nothing. So what the process was for us is we got a key to access the game. We installed the game, created an account, logged in. Before we actually got on the call to do the, the play session last week, I read through the character options and I created a character on my own for a system. Like I, I, I don't have a book in my hand. I haven't read a system rule. I haven't read an SRD. I'm getting a little bit of the lore as I read about the options that I have for my character. So by the time I actually joined the campaign, which took, I think, like two clicks and an invite, I had my character and we were ready to go. 
Uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, the meta of what this is and some of the conversations that we're having now. And then we were playing and I wasn't asking now, wait a second, do I do, do this? How many actions do I get a turn? You know, none of those questions were things that came up because they just happen. So I think about when, as a, a DM, I brought people into 5e, for instance, what do I do? I spend... 30 minutes thinking about their personality, looking for a pre-gened character for them. I look at that and say, this is too complicated. I have to pick something else. And then I print a second <laughs> character sheet for them. Uh, I do that times four or times five, depending on how many new players I have coming to the table. I think about like structuring, like, are we going to play a one chart that I've already run before? Am I going to do something on the fly? Uh, and then you get into that first combat and you're basically walking over everybody's shoulders and you're like, okay, well, look, you have this option and this option and this option, but this one is too much right now. And maybe you would consider, we had none of that experience. We were able to just sit down, talk a little bit, and then start playing. And so so that value that you say you wanted to present of just, hey, are you conceptually interested in TTRPGs? Uh, do you want to have that experience in five minutes? I feel like you really achieved that with what you presented to us last week. That's that's so great to hear. Uh, getting through the character creation quickly and easily, it was a big goal for that setup. Having these little bits of lore that you can find if you if you are the sort of person that goes a little further is it, super great to hear that you had that experience. We come from various gaming and mobile gaming backgrounds, and being able to present information in ways that it's easy to just do a a basic path through, but if you want to dig deeper, you can find out lots more detail. And we want to try to make the game like that, where instead of needing to read a book ahead of time, you just come in with your imagination and, oh, in combat, I just have these little clicks and I can move around. And and then that's like the light and easy beginning. And then we slowly, you know, you know, uh, uh, boil the frog of, uh, of giving you deeper and deeper ex uh, uh, things to do with the system. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. One of the things that I'll add to this is as I played the game, um, one of the thoughts I had is this would be a really easy way to introduce my younger children to tabletop. I have youngins, they're on that scale of learning to read, but I can't quite hand them a novel and have them, you know, just tell them go. And and I try to play like what I call, call like 5e light with them, where it's like, yeah, we're going to ignore the half this stuff. And sometimes we're just going to roll dice because rolling dice is fun. But but I looked at this as something else that like when, you know, when my son approaches me and it's like, yeah, like we should play D&D, &D, um, I can say, hey, this is just something that we would sit down and do. I, I say that to say it is great for that. It is not just great for that. I think that this would be wonderful to kind of present to anybody who is expressing that interest or for folks who like you know, longtime gamers where it's like nobody here wants to put in the energy of going and putting together a campaign for us to play for the next half of a day. We can just get in there and start having fun in like 10 minutes and be going. I feel like you've created that system that's going to enable that. Yeah, that was the goal, right? The the goal, like you're checking a lot of boxes for us, which feels good. Uh, <laughs> and at some point, <laughs> I, I would love to ask some questions, too, about like the play sesh that you guys did. Um, to just sort of like get some feedback, you know, from the onset, it was like, how do we make a game that literally anyone can play? Like, how do we make this people's first tabletop experience? How do we make it feel like a genuine TTRPG and not a video game with the dungeon master? We were worried about falling into sort of um, like the destiny to uh, Neverwinter Nights trap of like, oh, it's 
it's like a really awesome mod tool with the GM kind of like bolted on like that was the last thing we wanted to do. And then like, you know, fast character creation, fast combat, uh, intuitive rule set, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, like accessibility has been the primary design pillar for the project period. Awesome. All right. So there's two things I want to dive into because I feel like, honestly, for the folks at home, we've been talking about it's like, this thing's really cool and you're going to love it. But most of, what we, most of what we focused on is really like almost what I would consider the VTT experience less than the game itself. And I don't want to downplay the fact there's an actual game here. All right. This, this game has been designed. There is a rule set. There is lore. Um, and so I think l- let's attack them in kind of that reverse order. Can we talk a little bit about what is the lore of this game? What is the world that players are going to be stepping into? And then after that, let's step a little bit into like, what are the mechanics? What is this core rule set like? For lore, uh, the game, the game world itself uh, is called Mythos. And the idea being that we wanted to create, again, a sort of unique feeling high fantasy world where there was enough pieces that felt reminiscent or nostalgic for other settings. So, for example, we have four realms in our game that we're starting off with, and we will add more realms over time. Each realm has its own people that come from them. And so we have the Highlands and the Highlanders. We have the Wildwoods and the Woodlanders. We have the Coral Coast and the Wave Chasers. And we have the Long Meadows and the Long Striders. And each of these locations talks a bit about how magic is infused into every element or aspect of this world. And so the the players are effectively superheroes of this world. Um, I think I liken this a little bit to... Again, it's it's kind of a little bit like Marvel. There's not superheroes running everywhere. So as as a mage, as a special magic user who can tap deeper into the magical energies of Mythos more than other commoners, they get to do extraordinary things that everyday people on Mythos cannot do. And by leaning into this sort of idea, this motif of like, oh, you are special and you're going to get to do cool things that the average person doesn't get to do. It allows us from a narrative perspective to be really, really straightforward with sort of the mechanical stuff that we'll get into. Like when you, when you get like blasted by a spell or slashed by a sword in D and D that might be hard to write off. It's like, well, why can you sleep that off? Like, because, (laughs) because game game mechanics say it can. And like that, like that's the answer. Right. But we're, we're trying to build in narrative context a lore context for these things too. It's the, uh, it's like the knights who say knee. It's like, she chopped your leg off. Yeah. Or, flesh, it's a flesh wound. I will be exactly. better after a short rest. <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty of hit dice. I'll burn them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hey, speaking of dice, let's talk about the mechanics of the system. So we, we talk a lot about, mechanics on this podcast you know how games work different aspects of different systems things like that so the the dice system here is unique like i i don't think i've ever seen a game that works exactly like this way um brian can you just quick rundown of how dice work in this uh sure i would summarize it uh, simplest as kind of a success based system where you're putting together die pools to do various actions in the game, and then you roll them. 
and the number of successes that you get indicate how well you performed a particular task. Some things might have higher difficulties, which require more successes. In game, we call them sparks. They're the little stars that you see on the dice faces. So we're rolling a handful of d6s that, again, because we're a digital game, we can customize what faces are in each of the dice, like through your advancement and like buffs and debuffs and stuff. But you assemble a handful of dice, you roll them for a particular skill check, like athletics or sneaking up on somebody or whatever. And then the GM decides, oh, this should be two successes required or only one or maybe four or whatever. And then you either hit that number or you miss it. And the amount that you hit or miss by might be a ways to modify story based on those things. These are all kinds of like the, the space that a system like this allows you. Combat does use the same die pools or uh, the same types of dice and faces. And then in there, just the more sparks you acquire when using various abilities will increase the damage or healing that you're doing. Uh, but then also, hopefully in a, in, a, in a kind of exciting way, unlock other you know effects on abilities. So like a fireball, if you get three sparks on it, it also sets everybody on fire that it hits and things like that. Which from a design side, from this like accessibility and readability kind of angle, you just roll some dice and instead of seeing like, oh, you got some sixes and a five, that's good. Instead, oh, I see four stars have come up. That's great, right? Yes, everybody knows that's great. And that's sort of like immediate, like intuitive feel on those things. Versus like rolling like a bunch of blanks or an X, which is a <laughs> negative one in our system. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to make really good pot. I'm going to see if I can do from memory. So it, it is a six sided die. But it's one X, it's two blanks, it's three ones. Just the one blank? No, okay, I'm, I'm misremembering. Okay, tell me. Close. Uh, again, since, since we're digital, we can very easily modify the faces on the dice. So actually, as your die pool increases, the like second or third die you get will have a different configuration of faces to begin with. Oh, really? you know, I didn't appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, and as you advance um, through just leveling or getting gear or buffs and stuff, you can improve the faces on your different dice. So it's 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 very customizable. You'd need to come at it with like a like stickers in real life if you were going to be like modifying. <laughs> okay. It. Yeah. Uh, uh, this this is. I don't know if you're going to appreciate this analogy or not. Has anybody played Mario Party? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm just checking. Okay, but right, like you can get like the wonky die where it's like, okay, look, here's the deal. This is all either wild successes or terrible failures and there is no in between on this particular die. Right. <laughs> There's some mild similarities to Gloomhaven's what are they called the action deck, but the idea oh, of yeah. the, the space that you that you could draw from, you can modify over the course of of advancing your character. In, in, and specializing them in different sorts of things. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Cool. So it, it sounds like the success failure is more than binary. So like people are very accustomed to D&D binary success, where either you, you do the thing or you don't do the thing. And even if you do the thing by a lot, it's just as good as doing it by a little. But it sounds like in, um, in Fablecraft, more successes get you more stuff like is is there such a thing as like a horrible horrible failure can i roll a negative one and if i do what happens in the combat scene the amount that you exceed 
by definitely scales up the positive results. Uh, on the negative side, currently at least we just have if you get zero or lower, it's a miss. Um, we've actually have experimented with different results on the negative side, which could be scaling down of things or have some sort of negative effects. But these are these are great things to iterate on and try different kinds of classes that that work with. And then from a story perspective, the idea is to reinforce that over time where GMs and tables will just kind of naturally find their own ways of being like, oh, you got three extra sparks than you needed for doing this task. Well, let's have something particularly cool happen. We're not leaning into hard coding those sorts of things in the rule set out of the gate, but we're certainly interested in the kinds of feedback that we get from the community over time, like into Kickstarter and whatnot, being able to customize the experience for each individual table of them opting into whatever kind of custom homebrew rules they want for like, oh, when you get, when you roll bad, you like lose stamina or health or whatever, then, then, we, you know, we're, we're more than happy that tables will make the system work for themselves. All right. So here at RPG Bot, we love characters and we love character options. Let's talk about about how we describe the character. So as I remember it, we pick one of the four homelands you described, and you're talking about adding homelands as time goes on. Uh, we pick a class and we pick a combat style. Um, I think the homeland is, is fairly akin, akin to like an ancestry in PF2 or a race in uh, in 5e. The class is, is akin to a class. The combat style, talk a little bit about what this is. So I think saying... Picking a class isn't exactly like a fifth edition class, where the our classes are more like a profession in fifth edition, where or a background, where it has a mix of skills and out of combat magical and ritual kind of abilities. Whereas your combat style is exclusively what you can do inside of combat. So I always think of a of of a druid as kind of an example of this, where like what a druid is in D&D is kind of wrapped up both in their class and their combat style, where we've kind of separated those two. So our naturalist class is the, the druid analog, but that's a, that is a class. So that represents knowledge of nature and being able to do spells that deal with um, communicating with animals and, 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 and plants and doing all these sorts of things. But then a naturalist could pick whatever combat style they want, which would represent what are the sorts of abilities that they use in combat. Um, I think of it as like magical martial arts, like a style where like these mages can do these different sorts of things. And just because out of combat, I'm into animals and plants and stuff doesn't mean I have to be the vine summoner in combat. You can mix and match these. And these are... And the open mix and matching between homeland class and style is is kind of reinforcing the like people can play different kinds of ways angle that we're trying to take with the game. You should talk a little bit too about our skill system because it's so damn cool. What specifically did you want to highlight? Specifically, how we handle skills and their relation to spells. Oh sure. So the out of combat spell abilities that you acquire as you level are the spell schools so like you know necromancy illusion etc instead of having those each of our skills is like a school of spells so if you're practicing uh, the agility skill you're going to get spells that are associated with gracefulness and movement like 
climbing impossible things. Blinking. And then blinking, and then eventually flying, and then eventually teleporting. So we're we're breaking down what I kind of think of as like areas of human excellence of like all the kinds of things that we express in the world, but then infusing each of them with magic. And then, Oh, what would being really good at being strong lead to like, Oh, the physical body. And then maybe like shape shifting you eventually get to, or, or um, perception skills. The more perceptive you are, you add magic to it. And now we're talking divination, right. And like really high divination, like, Oh, I can see people on the other side of the world. So, okay, I have to ask. I think all three of us chose the skullduggery <laughs> skill. We did. So, where uh, where is that going to get me? <laughs> straight to well, jail. Well, I mean, straight out of jail, right? I mean, that's straight into <laughs> or out of jail. Um, uh, kn- knowing where the the jewels are hidden, just by like you know magically casing the joints. We have a spell mm-hmm. case the joint, which is which is kind of I that. Think I had that. One. Yeah, you use yeah. that repeatedly. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's like what room am I in? Doesn't matter. Case the joint. Yeah, the, the, the oh. kinds of spells that we've been making are are intended to be very open-ended role-playing opportunity kinds of things where they just they represent excellence in different kinds of things that you know you would watch people in an ensemble show doing right like a, i think david mentioned marvel and i think that that kind of angle is a great way to think about it like a cast of of heroes that are each great at different kinds of things and and then they perform them at various degrees of superhuman capabilities yeah, another cool spell that I had that like I loved personally was if I picked up an item, I could essentially see the history of that item. Uh, so think of it almost like a a magical surveillance tape. Like let's roll back the tape and see what happened here. And one of one of my complaints that I often have in Five E is there's so many awesome role play spells that no prepared caster will ever prepare because they're not going to waste the spell slots on these. And so it's never going to be relevant. It's never going to be useful. And therefore we never get to see them. And then similarly, right? Like no sorcerer has ever said, it's like, you know, for all of like the fireballing that I could be doing, what I really need to do is take this flavor spell for the one in a hundred chance that we actually wind up in a situation where we could use this. So it was cool to me. Again, I didn't have to put a lot of thought into the character creation. I, I read my options. I made some choices. And then I got into the game and I'm like, I've got a cool RP spell that I can use right now to help solve an RP problem that we're dealing with. And yeah, I, I thought that felt really good. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, after uh, playing role-playing games with Brian for the past 20 something years, um, it, it's always interesting that he was the one whenever playing spellcasters that would choose almost all of the non-combat spells first and it would always drive me crazy. And I was like, why, <laughs> why, do we, why do you have this one? But at the end of the day, um, what I think I realized much later in life is just how much flavor it added to the game. And yeah, it's, it's great having him now uh, you know, designing our system and kind of bringing, bringing that thought process forward. Yeah, haste breaks encounters, but speak with <laughs> dead and teleport breaks entire narratives. I'm sure that's <laughs> uh, third edition haste. <laughs> oh, oh uh, yes. yeah, boy, three O haste. That uh, takes me oh, back. Oh, oh. Hey, oh. I did a, I did a wizard. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've talked about that one on the podcast a long time ago. Anyway, uh, so so we talked about combat a little bit and how the 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 VTT integrates 
with the rules of the game very, very tightly. So like you throw a fireball, it rolls like you roll the dice, it reads your reads your stars, understands how many successes you have, boosts your damage, applies all those status effects. And then like as you move through the initiative order, like the status effects were applied automatically. And like Randall and I and Ash got to see that in action. So it's like, you know, having played D and D PF two, like PF two famously is like, okay, uh, we're just going to make a stack of cards for all the status conditions you have. You're like afraid, sickened, stunned, slowed. Do you still get a turn i who knows you're afraid uh, and brave interesting all right no, oh sorry uh, <laughs> i thought i said afraid <laughs> and sickened but who knows what came out of my mouth it'll come out in the in the transcript um <laughs> yeah uh like all the status conditions just appeared as little icons and all the monsters on on the grid uh when it was the monster's turn it was just automatically accounted for processed removed if necessary so like you can see all these things in effect and the the effects of the status effects were like obvious and easily resolved like the dm didn't have to think about it at all it just happened cuz the system was handling it for us we we had to cut the second fight short unfortunately but um you guys brought in a dragon just to show us what the death animations looked like when the, when you killed us i enjoyed that I, I will say I was a little bit worried about it. I think we'll talk about it in a second. Kind of the um, how how much of this is scripted, and and so I was literally having that thought. And just as I'm just like, well, how powerful is the GM in one of these sessions? Uh, lo and behold, a platinum dragon came into the room and lit me on fire. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's the answer. Now I know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Tyler, I, I like I like where you're headed with this. So, like to, to post questions. So that's what combat looks like. We had you know a little bit of that experience of the the RP, the social interaction of like, hey, there's this bandit. How are you going to try to get by them? Um, can you talk to folks at home a little bit about what is the Fablecraft experience during this out of combat part? Whether that be exploration of the world, whether that be RP and social interactions with other NPCs in the game. One of the fun things we're doing for the Kickstarter, but not just for Kickstarter, like for the larger vision of the project is we're creating these adventures and each of these adventures are pretty short. They're like five sessions ish, uh, five to eight sessions. And they, they focus on what we consider like things that we wish we saw more in TTRPGs. And you, you actually see Paizo and wizards and some other companies starting to like tap into this stuff. So for example, like we have uh, a murder mystery adventure that takes place on a pirate ship. So it's a pirate ship meets murder mysteries. That's one adventure. Another adventure we have is, uh, it's like a, a classic dungeon hack meets escape room. Uh, and it's got like a sort of like a toy dollhouse theme to it. We've got another adventure. Yeah, it's 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 super <laughs> fun. It's super fun. That that actually will be the first adventure you unlock on the Kickstarter. Uh, and then we've got like another one that's like fairy tale adventure that takes place in the in the wild woods. And the last one is uh, a heist one, which you start seeing some of these sort of like blades in the dark type stuff happening in in the sort of other TTRPGs as well. From from that perspective. We, we keep referring to this term like episode of the week, where it's like every week or every adventure, 
you have a very specific story or narrative that you're going through that ultimately tells you more and more information about the larger lore of the world itself and like who you are within relationship to that. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's that's content we're making. Now, I think that definitely addresses like how the narratives are built and kind of what what are the experiences that we get to have inside Fablecraft. Maybe more what I was acutely driving at is the three pillars of tabletop role-playing games are exploration, social interaction, and combat. And I feel like we've, re- we've really done a good job highlighting what combat looks like in Fablecraft. What does, for instance, social interaction look like? What is the experience that I'm going to have both as a player and as a GM? I think like social interaction wise, like we're, again, we're very, very keen to have the lore be a bit of the bedrock of like the foundation of everything we're doing. So for example, the, the, we have a, an adventure that everyone gets for free. It's called the, um, the, the road to the Starfall festival. And in this adventure, you're uh, hired as bodyguards to escort this caravan through the long meadows. And you'll be introduced to a number of NPCs. Again, one of the awesome parts about doing this digitally is that NPCs can be as thorough or as detailed as we have listed out, or they can be extremely utilitarian towards that adventure, right? Like we have characters who are like bit part characters who are there to like, why is this character here? Oh, the reason this character is here is to bring you to point A. It's like, why are you at point A? Because bandits are going to attack you there. So like, it's like, that's, that's, we have those elements. And then if you really want to dive deep, we have like a link you can click. And then you get like the wiki dump of lore information. And then, you know, if you're the type of GM who likes to prep and nerd out about that stuff, you can really get into it. Uh, But if you're, if you're someone who's like, I'm just like, I'm not going to prep. And like, I just want to get the story rolling so that we can have some fun combat stuff. We, we have those sort of beats set up for you as well. That makes sense. Like, yeah, we're going to do it live. It's going to be great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. So I I think we've, we mentioned it a couple of times, but I think it's worth actually talking about. So there's a Kickstarter coming. Yeah. Yeah. Kickstarter is coming in a week from today. So on May 9th and yeah, it's exciting. I, I, I'm very, very curious to see what the community thinks about this this game because it's very different from stuff that exists currently. And yeah, we'll have tiers ranging from $9 all the way up to 150 bucks if you want to get all the content. And then we've got a couple of VIP tiers too for folks who are really interested um, in impacting the game in specific ways. And... Really, the, the thing that's exciting about Kickstarter is, you know, we're, we're planning on launching the game this time next year. But if you back Kickstarter, you get to play it in August, which is which is great. Like you get to you get to play it basically, you know, almost a year before anyone else. And you get to hop on Discord, have direct line of communication with us and literally shape the game itself. Yeah, I, I want to like super reiterate that last point of like the kinds of feedback and interactions we get with the community that we generate will 100% affect the trajectory of the game. We've made a really good baseline and infrastructure for this game and hanging additional systems on it over time based on 
what kinds of experiences players are really resonating with on the platform is definitely going to to influence us. And I'm like like scared and excited for those those kinds of feedback. Um, and I've gone through processes like that on plenty of other games that I've worked on, but this one is going to be very unique um, and very exciting. So we we talked about kind of that range of like nine to one fifty. So if I get in in like the lower range. What are some of the backer rewards that I can expect? You know, what will I get for that? Versus if I go all the way to 150 or into the VIP, uh, what is the experience that I expect? So for nine bucks, you get access to the closed beta. You so you'll get you'll get your Steam beta key. You'll get access to what we call the base game, and you'll get access to a lot of the like we're, we have stretch goals. And so as those stretch goals unlock. A lot of it has exclusive content that you can only get on Kickstarter. You'll get access to that content. So a lot of dice skins, a lot of battle token skins. Uh, you know, our our game is primarily 2.5D, but we have really nifty 3D dice, uh, and the dice skins look awesome. So you'll get to see that next week when the Kickstarter goes live. And as you progress through the tiers, you unlock more stuff. So at the $30 tier, for example, you get access to um, you get six total Steam beta keys. So that way, like if you're the GM and you want to try to get your group excited or interested, 30 bucks will get you and your friends access to the product. And you get access to the first adventure, which is that house in the manor, trippy dollhouse escape room dungeon <laughs> hack. I mean, $30 is cheaper than a D&D book. Yeah, and, and basically each of the each of the extra tiers and 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 uh, adventure packs and whatnot just add more content to the game, right? You get more monsters, more battle maps, more NPCs, all that kind of stuff. More music, and even the yeah, more music. Uh, all, all the content that we're making, we're just dumping out under those, and there'll be other marketplace ways of getting it in the future and whatnot. Even just that base pack that you get with the um, uh, with the Steam key, there's plenty of monsters and battle maps and NPCs and backgrounds and everything that you can start telling your own adventures and whatnot. Awesome. All right. And then just to add to that a bit, the VIP tiers, um, I think the first VIP tier is is 500. And for that, you get to design a monster with us. So you'll work with our creative team. Essentially, you'll you'll create a, an art brief with our art director, um, you know, and and figure out what kind of monster you would like to create in the world of Mythos. Uh, which which is kind of cool. It's it's a it's a cool experience. That's pretty awesome. All right, I'm I'm going to ask the question that everybody in marketing and like kind of the front facing loves, and everybody who does development absolutely hates. Uh, <laughs> any cool stretch goals? Yeah. So the stretch goals include like uh, exclusive the exclusive dice, which again, like you're you'll only be able to get through Kickstarter which will very likely unlock very quickly. And we set that low intentionally. And we have two other classes, those, those role-playing classes that we were talking about. So we have the performer and the inventor that you can unlock. And uh, we've got more dragons. So we, we're, we're going to launch with four dragons in the game. And who doesn't love more dragons? So that'll be the big one if you can make it. If we make it all the way to 500K, everyone gets dragons. So like that, that feels pretty good. <laughs> that seems fair. I love dragons. So, so I'm into it. Make it happen. So I think I, I think I forgot to ask kind of a crucial question. So we've talked about 
the the closed beta starts in August, I believe you said. Yep. For Kickstarter backers yep. and then launch 2024. Yep. So we'll, we'll, we're trying to aim for April next year. But again, like we're really we're going to we're going to do this right. We're going to work with the community on Discord. And if the community is telling us, hey, we got to do this, we got to do that. You know, we'll, we'll work with them to make sure that we feel like the version that we're launching is the right version, the best version that we can get out the door for everyone. And that will also be the version that uh, we move over to tablet. So we'll do iOS iPads and we'll do Android tablets for that launch in spring. And then later that year, we'll finally get it onto phones. All right. And um, you mentioned there was one adventure that everyone's going to get for free. Yep. What does it cost just to like load up Fablecraft, create an account, play that free adventure? So uh, for for Kickstarter, it's nine bucks and that will get you really the beta key. But next year it's free. So the, the entire game is free to play. So with the way we we're trying to make it is, again, like get you like the the player's handbook the dmg light and the monster manual light for free you get all that for free and and effectively you know uh, a snippet of you know uh, minds of fandelver for free and the the idea being again that like if you are having fun playing fablecraft maybe you'll spring for a dice skin maybe you'll spring for a subscription model, which will unlock basically premium video chat if you really care about the quality of your video in the game. And we'll unlock a whole host of homebrew features so that if you want to design a custom spell, a custom monster, and then eventually one day distribute it on our marketplace and sell it, cool. So all sorts of exciting features. Uh, You know, this is later roadmap stuff but like uh, stuff that we're very passionate about like we really want because brian is like the master of homebrewing and we've played a lot of his homebrews over the years and we want to make sure that other gms can use fablecraft to do similar stuff folks by the necessity of podcast magic it is actually after may 9th 2023 right now when you are listening to this so one of two things is true either the kickstarter is live And you can go look in the show notes, find the link, click it. Alternatively, the Kickstarter has passed, but you should be looking for Fablecraft on Steam. Absolutely. Uh, So to check the game out, go to playfablecraft.com and that will uh, give you all the goods. It'll have a link to our Kickstarter. It'll have a link to our Discord. Uh, We're a thousand members strong. And again, it's just been it's been awesome. Just like even even talking to the folks who are just excited for the Kickstarter to launch, uh, who have been peppering us with about a million questions. And it's just, it's been so much fun. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you all for being with us. Wonderful. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. No, it's been great. All right. So folks can find you on playfablecraft.com and that'll get you to uh, Kickstarter, Discord, this sort of thing. If folks wanted to find you on other socials, let's say Twitter, TikTok, uh, how would they find you? What's the easiest way to make it happen? So we're Fablecraft Game across all our social channels. Uh, Come check us out there. All right. Perfect. Wonderful. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. 
You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. You know how sometimes you've seen a word written like a million times, and then you have to say it out loud, and then you realize you've been pronouncing it wrong your whole life? Yeah. Uh, hey, Randall, how do you pronounce A-K-I-N? A-K-I-N. Akin? Akin. Akin. Akin? I would say Akin. Yeah. Did, did I do that earlier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. What, what's funny is every time I've seen it happen to Randall, it's been on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that seems fair. Uh, it feels like one of those where also the opposite, where it's like a word you've only ever heard, mm-hmm. but you've never really seen it written down. Like, I know like, oh, it's akin to this thing. Like, it's akin to that. I don't think I've ever seen a kin written. <laughs> See, so I think I'm, my problem is the opposite. Is like I've seen it written, and so I've, I've read it, but I've never actually combined <laughs> the two ideas in my mind. I remember uh, the moment that I realized that uh, epitome is, is pronounced epitome. Uh, <laughs> this was years it ago. Be but epitome. Yeah. It really yeah. should be. That's a much better word. Yeah, but but yeah, like it's like these words mean like very similar things but they're and it's almost like you would spill them the, oh no that i've been doing it wrong and then you have flashbacks of all the times you've said it wrong uh, uh for, people for me say it was for me it was a, a transformers there more than meets the eye i thought meets the eye was like an alien race and the transformers were better <laughs> more they were greater than meets the eye the meets yeah. the eyes <laughs> that makes sense I'm, you know, I'm glad that, nobody ever wasted time talking about the Mitsui eyes. <laughs> They're boring, <laughs> apparently. Transformers are better. I'm accepting that as headcanon now. <laughs> I think that's how it was originally written.